Let us pray. O Lord, we rejoice in your word, for by it you give us an immense treasure. Keep us pure by it, so that we walk your path until we reach the heavenly wedding banquet. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the 119th Psalm, the second stanza, verses 9 through 16. Please rise. By what means can a youth keep his track pure? By keeping it aligned with your word. With all my heart I study you. Do not cause me to stray from your commandments. Within my heart I have stored away your sayings so that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your engraved commands. With my lips I recount all the judgments that come out of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I rejoice as I would over any riches. I muse over your regulations and I look over your tracks. I will find my delight in your engraved commands. I will not forget your word. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. This is the second stanza of Psalm 119, and each line of this stanza begins with the Hebrew letter Beit, which makes the B sound. And together with the first stanza, the first eight verses, these verses provide the introduction to the rest of Psalm 119. The themes that are presented here in these first 16 verses will be returned to and expanded on throughout the rest of the psalm. It's a psalm about God's word, and it's a psalm that is sung by the church. It's the prayer of each individual member, and it's also the prayer of the whole collected congregation. So we believe, teach, and confess that if God's word is in mind and heart, there's always cause to rejoice. We find delight in God's word, therefore, because by it he keeps us pure, and in it we have riches. This stanza begins with a question, by what means can a youth keep his track pure? And the answer that immediately follows, by keeping it aligned with your word. The question is undoubtedly one that Christian parents today agonize over. Will my son remain in the faith? Will my daughter move away from the church? I know it's a question that occupies my thoughts. You can look at some statistics in this and see how children are more likely to go and stay in church if they've grown up in attendance weekly with their parents, at least with both parents, especially with with their fathers. Fathers, indeed, have a key role, if statistics are to believed, in keeping children in the church. And the book of Proverbs advises, dedicate a child to the way he should go, and even when he becomes old, he will not turn away from it. But sometimes, even devout Christian parents have children who go astray. At this point, we might throw our hands in the air and say, well, I've done my best. But we're not defeatists either. We're not going to give up. We have the dedication and promise of God. Now this word youth doesn't merely mean a child. It means specifically someone about the age of a student, someone who is in high school or college for our purposes. Perhaps at the youngest, our confirmation-aged youths, 
And he's on a track. He's on a pathway. He's headed somewhere. And the word serves such an individual as a road map, or as we'll see later in the psalm, as a lamp for my feet and a light for my footpath. This portion of the psalm is perhaps spoken less by the adults and more by that young person who wishes his own way to be kept pure. So I'd like you older members to think in the perspective of such young persons who are growing up, and some of that might come from remembering your own youth, but with a dash of understanding that there are different challenges and different opportunities for each generation. Understand the perspective that young people frequently see older people and think that they are pretty sure of themselves for right or wrong, and that they know where they belong for right or wrong. The older generations, they think, don't have to question their religion or their convictions because they've already settled into where they'll be until they die. But the future isn't so certain for themselves. They have a high school class and time and college to worry about. They have to worry about whether they'll get married and have kids, get a job, buy a car or a house. All of these things for the younger generations are uncertainties. I've heard the accusation leveled against the youth of the current culture that they just don't care about Christianity or the church anymore. They just don't care. And the numbers would seem to agree to that. We've all noticed and studies have shown that attendance in churches has gone down almost across the board. And the average age of attendance in churches has steadily risen. Where are the dozens of Sunday school students we once had, we despair? And now you understand that there are temptations that come upon others that are never going to bother you. So seek first to understand. But then understand that there are temptations that come upon others that come from the exact same sources that every temptation comes that comes upon you. They are from the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh. Younger folks should be able to know that the older folks do still face temptations. We should be honest about these things that we face. I'm tempted every day. Doubts still rear their ugly heads in my heart. It seems like a constant struggle to keep my faith and my track pure in the face of the devil and the world and my own flesh. But how do I keep my way pure? And how can you? By keeping it aligned with your word. That might sound like a law proclamation. If only those kids would stay in church. If only they would study their Bible. If only their parents would make sure they came every week. But I've known a man who, although his entire life was spent in the church, and although he attended the divine service regularly, and though he was even moved to begin studying for the ministry, nevertheless became a crass atheist after graduating from our own Bethany Lutheran College. Now, being kept in a church is no guarantee of a pure track. So to some extent, this is the prayer of a young person. With all my heart, I study you. Do not cause me to stray from your commandments. I know when I was younger, I craved certainty. I was desperate for it. 
I'd be willing to bet that many other youths would like that same certainty. How can they get it? Well, we offer here the Word and the sacraments. We study God. This petition sounds like the one from the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. We're following God's guidance, and it's only right that we ask Him to lead us in the right path, which of course He does. But this is reflected in the meaning of the sixth petition. God certainly tempts no one to sin, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our own flesh may not deceive us nor lead us into misbelief, despair, and other shameful sin and vice. And though we be thus tempted, we may still in the end overcome and retain the victory. We teach this in our catechism class. Every confirmed member has been asked to memorize those words. And we teach it because it is foundational to our Christian life. Essentially, we're putting everything in the right hands. We can't follow our own paths because then we'll be led into straying, into evil, and into temptation. Instead, we follow God. And with confidence, we ask Him to lead where He desires. The law message won't encourage young people to come back to church. You'd better come back to church, we shake our finger. You'd better keep your track pure. You'd better keep it aligned with God's Word. How easy wouldn't it be for the accusation of hypocrisy to be leveled at us if we started that way? How pure is your track? Let me emphasize that this is impossible for us. You and I can't keep our track pure. We can't do it. As hard as we try, we won't succeed. The same question, by what means can a youth keep his track pure, is answered in our hymn. By what means can a youth keep his track pure? Through Jesus' blood and merit, I am at peace with God. What then can daunt my spirit, however dark my road? Within my heart I have stored away your saying, so that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your engraved commands. Memorizing the word helps. Studying it, hearing it, receiving it is the key. You and I can be like Mary who treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart when her son was born and subsequently worshipped by shepherds. Treasure up the gifts of God. Storing up the commandments of God is one thing, the Ten Commandments, keeping them in mind, sure, so that you know what's expected of you, so that you know what sort of life would displease God. But then you should soon start to realize how badly you've offended and how unworthy you are of eternal life. If you had only the Ten Commandments of God stored in your heart and nothing else, then through your life you would begin to hate them. You would see how impossible their demands are, and you would hold it against God. But no, store away God's sayings, the psalm says, the whole word, especially the gospel word by which he says that you are forgiven. Every single one of your offenses against those Ten Commandments, they are all forgiven. He has made His promises and He has kept 
His promises whereby Jesus' blood was shed for your sins. Jesus died paying the price for every breach of every commandment that has ever been committed by anyone and His merits now stand in your account. You are at peace with God. This is the prayer of one who has faith. We see the great blessing we have from God and we want to hold on to it. We don't want to lose it. That's why we wonder how we can keep our track pure. How can I hold on to this treasure? And therefore we pronounce a blessing upon the God who has saved us, who has made us pure and kept us pure. And so we ask for the chukim, the engraved commands, let them be taught to us. And this shows more advanced teaching as we delve deeper and deeper into the study of God. It's never done, but we find more and more that in that word we have riches. With my lips I recount all the judgments that come out of your mouth. The judgments, the mishpatim, the forensic declarations that God makes as judge. What he declares righteous and unrighteous. Here, the speaker of this psalm says he'll repeat those things with his lips. And it's not an accident that lips and mouth occur in the same verse here. That instruction and teaching comes from repeating what has been taught. That's literally what catechism means. Kata echoism. Kata means down and echo, echo, repeating. And repeating down again and again what's been taught. So we repeat what we learn from God. And the essence of God's teaching is in His judgments by which He declares some things righteous and some things guilty. And we learn these things by mimesis, by repetition, so we simply repeat what God has said, and thereby we learn, and thereby we also teach others, and also thereby we keep in our hearts what He gives to us. This is the true purpose of our liturgy. God's word is simply spoken in our liturgy. What came from his mouth is repeated in the pastor's lips and is repeated also in the lips of every member of the congregation. And thereby you learn and thereby you also teach one another and strengthen one another in the faith. We already saw how these things are stored away in the heart. Within my heart I have stored away your sayings. And now they're recounted with the lips. Another psalm declares, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And St. Paul said, since we have that same spirit of faith, which corresponds to what is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken, we also believe, and therefore we speak. So if the word is in our hearts, it will come out of our mouths. Jesus warned about the opposite state of affairs. But whatever comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. That is what defiles a person. To be sure, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and blasphemies. These are the things that defile a person. So against such impurities, by what means can a youth keep his track pure? By keeping it aligned with your word. And in the way of your testimonies, I rejoice as I would over any riches. On this pathway, on this walk of life, which is guided by what God attests to be true with himself now in the witness stand, we are able to rejoice. 
In fact, we rejoice over this as we would over any riches, all kinds of riches, any treasure imaginable. How is it that his testimonies become for us so valuable a treasure? Jesus told a parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. When he found one very valuable pearl, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. We can think of this pearl as the word of God. But think of it another way. God is the merchant. He has found a pearl for which he has given up his dearest treasure to purchase. You are that pearl. Not because you are intrinsically valuable. Not because you have any shining merits that would make God want you. No, you have value because God assigned you value when he sold his son into hell for you. This comprises the testimonies of God and his judgments. He condemned his son to justify you. In Jesus, the sins of the whole world are paid for, and he delivers to you the redemption in his word and sacraments. Therefore, these things are such priceless treasures to us. I muse over your regulations and I look over your tracks. I will find my delight in your engraved commands. I will not forget your word. To muse means to meditate on, to speak about, to discuss, to delve into by reasoning through. We look at God's regulations, what he is supervising, our morality, and we talk about it even if we talk just to God in order to better understand it and to better apply it to our own lives. He's saved us, you see. We are holy in his sight. And so we look over his tracks. Look where God has already been. Follow where God leads. We rejoice to be the sheep that he has saved, and we bound after our good shepherd in love and appreciation. And therefore the things that God has written in stone, those engraved commands again that we're hoping to study more and more intensely as we grow in faith, developing so that we are able to take the solid food of richer doctrine, they are our delight. As if we have God's word always in our mind and heart, and certainly even that harsh condemning word of the law will cause us to delight because we see how even it points to our Savior the one who kept that law perfectly in our place, winning for us the judgment of God, declaring us righteous. So the drama unfolds in this psalm. You and I grow daily in our understanding and appreciation of God's word. But why? Why do we love that word so much? St. Paul asked in one of his letters, I just want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? or by believing what you heard? And he answered it in another letter. So then faith comes from hearing the message, and the message comes through the word of Christ. It's by this word that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and in all believers of Christ, and it delivers Christ Jesus to us so that we are adopted as God's children, raised in his household and invited to that heavenly wedding feast given eternal life. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore.
Amen.